1: Welcome to the Arma Energy Drink Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Fly Racing, X-Brand Goggles, Just One Helmets, and Bill's Pipes. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got Rusty Holland. Rusty, how's it going?
2: Doing good, Thanks.
1: Right on. Well, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show to uh, discuss the career of Rusty Holland, a guy who uh, um, not enough fans know enough about as far as uh, your contributions to the sport, uh, the fact that you're still in the sport, offering uh, your knowledge to, to, to young riders doing schools, and, and uh, um, even throughout the, the later stages of your professional career, taking guys under your wing a little bit and and, uh, and keeping them on, a, on the straight and narrow and, and all that fun stuff. So uh, I wanted to, to call you up and, uh, and kind of go... Uh, Uh, go through your career with a fine tooth comb
2: well okay and well thanks for asking i'm so uh honored to be here I dedicated my whole life like you're saying to the sport today i love and passion so much and uh basically it started out as i was uh, four years old i got my first motorcycle my grandfather rode uh, bsas and triumphs and uh did a lot of the early stages of racing with with uh scrambles and dirt track and uh From the first day on, uh, about three years old, he started putting me on the tank of his bike, and we'd ride into the sunset after his work every day in the desert. And uh, every Thanksgiving, the whole family would unite, and we'd all go out camping and stay out there for week increments and just kind of doing our thing. And uh, as uh, more and more OHV parks started getting closed down, I I started racing at about the age of 12 and uh, quickly fell in love with that side of the sport. And my grandfather and I created a bond and a relationship that we traveled all over the the, the country doing as many races as we, as we could in the back of a camper show on a Ford pickup. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a great journey. I've been very fortunate. You know, I turned pro by the, t- by the age of 19, kind of, you know, accelerated my, myself through the ranks, and it wasn't very graceful. You know, a lot of things I did were were kind of looked upon bad and kind of I feel definitely bad for the things I did, but I just I wanted to do well in the sport, and uh, I was willing to do whatever it took to get there. Well,
1: it's a competitive uh, sport, and, and emotions run high. And uh, especially with motocross, it's uh, it's a, it's a passion-filled sport. And uh, and you were able to uh, to to hold down some some pretty impressive rides and, and put in some great uh, um, performances, not only in motocross, supercross, but arena cross as well. Something that I feel like uh, arena cross is, is almost where you found uh, your your best home. Is where you you are a very technical rider. Uh, you can put the bike in in some pretty tight spots and uh, and and you are also very aggressive which uh is um is something that definitely uh lends itself well to uh the tight confines of a hockey rink um is is that my far off the mark there
2: no no you, you're you're kind of spot on i mean we're all we all have our strength and weaknesses and one of my strengths is i was always kind of a good sprinter so those races seem to fit my my efforts very well and uh i did my best as i could at supercross and a lot more challenging of a of a competitive scale of course but uh Yes, arena cross was kinda of where I, I, I felt that I, I got the most uh, out of the sport and uh and had a great time doing it.
1: Well, as far as uh like the the transition from um uh, racing a lot of supercrosses to to arena crosses, that was kind of like the spotlight switched over in the early 2000s. Um what brought you to uh to want to like, continue to race um more arena cross races and be competitive in that series uh with guys like Danny Stevenson, Buddy Antonez, and uh Josh Dima, with many others.
2: Sure, it is a a big big difference in approach. It uh it's hard to get used to It's a small tight confinement and uh you know it 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 uh it's it's really tough to keep the mind going when things are coming at you that quick so you know making the transition from supercross it was it, it was a big battle for for me especially the first couple of rounds I don't even think I qualified the first two Dave Dan lacked some tough racing gave him my first chance to go back and and compete in it but uh it's something you got to get used to, and it's short bursts of, of speed needed, and 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 a lot of banging going on in those 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 types of races.
1: So you grew up in in California, where this is the hotbed of motocross, is the the mecca, as they say, of of, of all where all things go down in motocross. And uh, of course, um, I not surprised that uh, your first events that you'd race as a professional were uh, were at Hangtown, as well as the first. Uh, supercross main event that you made was a west coast uh san jose round uh 1994 um what do you remember about those events and uh and making it into a transition into the pro class um and uh and just kind of trying to make a name for yourself trying to get as much support as you could and uh just continue to uh to love the sport and and uh and do the the best of your ability
2: yeah, it uh it definitely was a challenge that transition was huge for going from the local scene of the pro classes to to that level and uh the the transition was very costly at the beginning. I didn't have any experience on tight arena cross or supercross style environments back then. They weren't they weren't around just as as a practice facility to be. I live I live more in central California, so even though I'm in the mega of of the hotspot of motocross, I'm still a bit away of the main industry and and uh so it, it 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 was great though once I made my first uh, first main event and you know it's like anything winning your first race once once you get that first one on your belt you believe that it's comfortable almost every time and and uh, so it was really neat to make those those first couple main events and and uh, I had a mentor by the name of John Nelson that really was a big part of you know focusing focusing and harnessing my ability to the right direction to get there so.
1: So uh, obviously, most guys uh, start out their career in the 125 class. Although uh, your first national was on a 250, but uh, from then on, you, you did spend a lot of time on the 125 uh, all the way into uh, 1996, 97. Um, what is it about what was it about the little bike that kind of uh, was seemed um, natural to you? You seemed to uh, like really gravitate to that not only in the states but uh once you uh headed uh north of the border you were also very successful on the 125
2: yeah i was a, a pretty good rider on them I, w- I always felt like i was a little bit better on the 250 that you say that but uh the, the rides i did it the first year on the 250 just because of cost effectiveness and uh, yamaha had a great contingency program that year so that's what kind of led me to, to go to the bigger bikes at the beginning and then uh I, I was always a Suzuki guy. So I, I just wasn't at home the whole f- first half of season thinking that the class would be easier and thinking that I could hopefully make ends meet better with, with riding the Yamaha. But, uh, at the last round, I failed to make one single point through my entire first year at the nationals. And then, uh, right, right when, uh, the last round of, of my series came or we coming back to Hugo, I, I got back on my arm 125 and just happened to score the points. Um, It was basically the bike, the Suzuki 125 at that moment was was kind of my staple. And then once the rides started coming, then I I had no choice but to, to take the 125 deals, you know.
1: For sure, and, and then to, to make a living in the sport you take what's available as far as uh, um rides and whatnot. Um who who were some of your greatest supporters uh and what kind of uh outfits were you able to uh associate yourself with uh in throughout the er, early uh nineteen ninety four, ninety five, ninety six when uh you were a Suzuki guy?
2: Yep, yep. So uh ninety six I actually started the supercross series in a garden trailer, and I was a, a pro circuit rider and uh Okay. The third round, I believe it was, David Pinguy broke his femur, so sad to say, and uh, I I was fortunate to get a fill-in ride for him. And literally, it it was a a costly decision, but I I tried to jump on the bike like an hour before practice. They made the decision to try to get me to race this bike. I I think I was sitting third or fourth in the West Coast points after two rounds. So... I was gonna to try to transition under Kawasaki, and it that 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 night didn't go too well. I didn't even qualify into the the main event. I really struggled out of the gate on the bike, but uh, obviously a big transition from going. I mean, I had great bikes being a privateer, but that that was kind of a whole other level. So, you know that that it all came so fast. So, '94 I turned pro, and '96 90, I got that ride, and then uh, I kind of hurt my shoulder and. Uh, they decided to go with a different rider the next year, and I underwent sur- shoulder surgery. And uh 97, I rode for Thousand Oaks Motorsports. And uh, everything was going good. It was kind of getting stagnant. Obviously, being a couple years into there, you know, having a couple injuries, it was it was getting tough. And then uh 98, I believe, uh, I got the F&F Honda ride. Again, a fill-in rider for David Pingree. And uh, finished the National Series out. It was kind of ironic that I kept chasing the slots, but I I was grateful to get the help. And then, uh, 99, I believe, uh, is when, uh, um, I, I got supported by d Suzuki. And, uh, and we, were, we were initially on Hondas with that, with that team in 99. And, uh, that kind of went through 2000. So I did Supercrosses and, and, uh, outdoor nationals with that team. And then, uh, 2001 is kind of after being in the Supercross nationals for four or five, six years. And, uh, I transitioned into arena cross. Just like what you're saying, it's just all about availability of support and 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 finding your placement in the sport.
1: For sure, and uh, dialing back uh, just slightly to uh, 1997 uh, in April 26th, uh, you were able to uh, be one of the few guys who uh, have uh, like a, kind of like a, a, an exclusive club of guys who uh, qualified for both the 125 and 250 uh, 250 Supercross, placing uh, I, I believe a career best uh, fifth place uh, in the 90s in the the um, In the 125 class, among guys like uh, Sean Parolio, Mike Metzger, uh, Travis Preston, who at the time was on, I believe, a Chaparral Yamaha, Um, or maybe that was uh, 97, he's... uh Oh, he's, he's triple, uh, Moto Triple X. That's terrible. Uh, but uh, Kevin Windham takes the, takes the top spot on that night, and, and you're fifth, but you also put it in the 250 main uh, the very same evening, like uh, showing skills on both the 250 and the 450. And, of course, uh, 1997, not exactly a uh, phenomenal year for uh, the Green Machines.
2: Yeah, yeah, 97 was a tough year, but, uh, we, we, the qualifying for both those classes one time was was very honorable. I was, I was super stoked to do it, and I was kind of so spastic on the supercross track, it was almost like the more I got to practice it and, and wear myself down on and get better at the at the tracks, the better I was. So, uh, like I said, that that night I was able to get the fifth in 125. I felt like I had more track time than anybody. I don't know what year they stopped, uh, letting people try to contend into classes, but, uh, I enjoyed it. So
1: for sure I think uh I think they might have gone away with that um Right around maybe two thousand three or two thousand and four, I know Jason Thomas was uh, a guy who who did uh, who did that on on occasion able to make it into both basically uh, collect the uh, entrance money into making the main uh, in the four two fifty class but uh, tough to uh, to go race a main event and then uh, basically a commercial break later uh, right back out onto the track racing uh, in the uh, in the next class. but uh, I want to ask you about those uh, one thousand nine hundred and ninety eight um, FMF Hondas, um, like you're, I don't know, like the, you've heard all kinds of things about those bikes. It was the first year, uh, of the aluminum framed Honda 125. Uh, some people say those engines were super slow. Um, uh, I, I know Steve Mathis was a, was a mechanic on the team. He had mentioned that, uh, they were, um, pretty like the, the team itself was like, uh, not, maybe not so well put together, but, uh, what was your take on that whole deal?
2: No, no, it it was—it's it, funny how you explain the the air to me. You know, it was, I was just appreciative to have a ride again, and and it, it was weird. I was I was sleeping on bed mattresses back in in the middle of Ohio because I didn't want to buy airline tickets with all the mechanics and staying in the truck. But I was very grateful to be back there with them and their efforts. You know, and uh, they had a lot of honorable people running the team. You know, Bobby Moore and and uh, but it it was a cool experience. Obviously, got to meet a lot of nice people on the team and briefly coming into that, that opportunity filling up for Pingree again, um, uh, actually I, I was a, a, durability and also an R and D rider for Honda. So I, I was very familiar and my, my obligation to Honda was to ride the stock bikes, to the national. So there was a brief period. I was actually riding a stock version of it. So when I got on the FMF Hondas, it was night and day, right? I mean, I, I felt like I had a fast bike then. And, uh, but, um, it it was good. I mean, I I felt like I got the good starts on it, and I mean, I, I did what I could on the bike. I definitely wish I could have had a little bit more times, but it, all in all, it was a good good effort.
1: No doubt, like uh, your season's best finish was Millville, a track that's uh, not too far from me, and uh, must be a track that uh, kind of agrees with you. Uh, maybe not as much the sand whoops, but the rest of the track really nice soil, and I uh, can let that one twenty five sink.
2: For sure, it's a lot like West Coast Terrain. I'm more of a hard pack rider and I and, and like to slide around a little bit more. So that and Unadilla and Binghamton, you know, there's certain tracks that really fit fit my style. I know a lot of them still aren't on the circuit. I like to get Gainesville a lot. I got to go there one time. But uh, it, it 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 was a cool experience to go to all, all the different dynamics of tracks. It's one thing to be good, but it's another thing to be good on all terrains, you know.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It's the... Uh, Versatile, and that's something that you had to uh, tap into once you headed north to Canada. Because if you've raced Nanaimo, you realize that that is <laughs> basically um, that soil is from the moon. Um, yep. There is no tire that that uh, runs well on that. But then you also have—I'm uh, not too, too sure if you ever rode Gopher Dunes, but there's a couple other sand tracks out on the east. And then you've got Overton and uh, Walton, and then in the middle you got Grunthal, which is kind of like a. Clay, sand mix, perfect soil. We love it so much. But uh, you got to be able to ride everything, and uh, you proved that to be true when you are uh, chasing around guys like Darcy Lynch.
2: Yep, and and let's not forget Wall and Blair. There many many strong athletes. That, it was a big eye opener, and I don't care who went up there; it would have been Hanks, very tough, yeah. very tough to beat those guys.
1: No doubt. How uh, how was that uh, switch to uh, to racing up here in Canada? And uh, like originally, what what team did you come up here with?
2: Well, originally it was uh, Bill McClain, and I was so lucky to know Brad Hagseth. We were, we were like really good friends, still are, and uh, we, we, we were on the team with Dean Reedy for a prior couple years, obviously him being the Northwest boy and Dean Reney being out of <clears throat> the same place. They, they had a great interrelationship and, and effort going, so uh, I got brought into that deal and the Canada deal kind of by Brad, and uh, so Bill McClain and, and, and the McLean family took me under their wing. I wrote... For Pacific Yamaha, so Nanaimo was my first uh, first race for him, and it was a it was a mutter, and I got so lucky to hole shot it. I'll never forget. There was a bunch of four strokes. It was kind of the air when the 530s and stuff were coming around the bigger bore bikes, and uh, it, it was a, it was a cool experience. I really enjoyed that track too.
1: There you go. And of course, that was, uh, I believe, the year that you first came up uh, racing full time was uh, Doug Dubach's rise to uh, attrition here up in Canada, uh, whooping up on the boys on a uh, a not so stock uh, Yamaha 400 or 4 or whatever the heck the engine was and ended up being.
2: uh, Dubach had that, you're saying?
1: I believe so. He had a four, yeah. that was the first year that he came up on a four stroke. Yep. It was a four twenty six, but uh, I think um, he was, that was doing he, research he was... and development for Yamaha, so that could have been anything under the hood.
2: Yeah, for sure. And and I don't think I ever raced him up there. I raced him a lot of the four stroke nationals here in the yeah. states, but uh, but uh, yeah, I, I was just right behind him, maybe.
1: Well, the, the four stroke nationals are, are something that uh, don't uh, get nearly enough attention. For there's a lot of riders who uh, made a decent living race, uh, racing the four stroke nationals, and uh, um, and even contested for a lot of uh, for championships. Guys like I've, I've had on the show, like uh, uh, Mike Young, and even the uh, the, the series's um, coordinator uh, Don Schneider. Uh, what, what were some of your memories of, of racing four stroke nationals uh, late '90s, early 2000s?
2: Well, like I said, kind of favoring the bigger bore bikes, once the 400s came and, and I, I transitioned right with them. I was so fortunate to get one of those when they came out and then had a 426. And once the four stroke Nationals came out, it seemed like he, he was trying to jumpstart something a little early, which was great. You know, he was trying to get ahead of the game, I think, recognizing that four strokes had their own placement. And, uh, it was a great series as well. Just like I mean across, it was just another place to be able to go and, and, and be competitive and try to find the ride and, and, and make the events, hopefully pay for your efforts of racing. And, you know, that was always the most important thing to me is that to hopefully and hopefully for everybody's same uh, approach would be is that, you know, we have to be feasible about what we're trying to take on and we have to be feasible, uh, feasible about what we're spending. So. It was very important for me to find my placement and to where I could be the most effective and make the most money. And, uh, so the, the four stroke nationals were perfect for me. I mean, a lot of great competitors, but, uh, he, he had a great thing going there, you know.
1: For sure, a lot of guys cut their teeth in that series, and and were able even to elongate their careers. Like uh, guys like Sean Hamlin putting in uh, time before his career really got started, and then you have guys uh, like Lance Smale and uh, and many others who uh, who put in a lot of time uh, once uh, they were in more of the twilight of their career, and uh, it, it gave an, uh, a place for guys to race and be successful, uh, um, and maybe. Uh, um race up front whereas at the uh the the local, at the American Nationals guys like uh, Ricky Carmichael and the rest of the gang were uh were a little bit off in the distance.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh it's funny you name all these names, uh, you know, from JT Money to, to Colin Smill and it, it's I just it makes me have flashbacks of, of walking to the line having to compete against these guys. They were all sheer competitors and uh it uh it was a great experience. I got to do a lot of racing, a lot of years of uh, of battling and uh it's been great.
1: No kidding. Uh like uh, I gotta think uh a- among those names would be uh Jimmy Lamastis and uh and maybe even Lena Zelansky.
2: Yep. It, yep, it doesn't it doesn't get any rarer than that.
1: <laughs> I've watched way too many uh Canadian nationals on YouTube. Most of them are still on there if you ever do take a chance to uh to check those out on on Guaranteed MX. Um that that uh, he's always l- uploading uh different races and stuff like that. And um so I uh, I wanted to talk about uh like uh some of the, the 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 races that you had in Canada as well as uh the Arena Cross teams that you uh uh, competed with? Cause I know, uh, you were you know, a bit of an arena cross specialist in the later part of your career racing for team Suzuki as, uh, you competed with the, uh, like, um, I believe it was in 2003 or maybe 2002, uh, with the, 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 the team Suzuki in, in, in arena cross.
2: Yep. My first two years were with tough racing and, uh, yeah. Actually, my first year was with tough racing, and I, I scored. I was so lucky to get five wins in the in the first year. And then my second year is when I went to uh, Bill's Pipe Suzuki with with uh, Billy Whitley and, and Scott Link was the tuner for my bike. I was so fortunate to have him, and uh, had more podiums and and better finishes than the year prior, but not as many, not any wins. So I, I was a lot more consistent of a rider. It was a very very professional team and and great experience. And uh, I mean, we had the bikes that year, you know. And Pedro Gonzalez is my teammate, along with Brad Hegg, so, Um So it it was a great season. And uh, but uh, I ended up fifth in the in the series points with with that team.
1: Yeah, it was really great. Like that. That's kind of like almost the. Uh, I guess now like uh, arena cross is actually having a bit of a resurgence. But that's kind of like the golden era of arena cross. You guys had a lot of attention, a lot of great sponsors coming in and out of the series. You had a great team with with Hagseth and, and Pedro Gonzalez. And it's funny that uh, within two hours, I'm talking to two different guys that had uh, that had the pleasure of being uh, a teammate with Pedro Gonzalez. But uh, you and Mike Treadwell uh, both uh, doing so. And and uh, yeah. Yeah, you raced with number 8 on your bike uh, in, in, I believe in 2003 and then the following year uh, you came back on Kawasaki's uh, on a Valvoline uh, backed uh, Kawasaki 252 stroke which uh, for my money that thing was fast that, those engines, the, the the Kawasaki 252 stroke, it's like a light
2: switch it was and it was almost a bit too much in, in that environment and uh, it's funny you say that because that's what we were trying to do all year long just get them smoother and where they hook up a little bit better. But uh, the 125 kind of struggled. I, I don't know. If, obviously, we all go through ups and downs, and, you know, everything affects our racing ability, and a lot of transitions were going on at that time in my life, you know, between buying a house and settling down yeah. and getting married. and So it's kind of weird how you look back and, and, and you think that things aren't, aren't – Worrying you or, or affecting your racing ability, but in reality, that the, you know, the older we get, that that's basically the hardest thing to fend off is just you know being free enough to still be able to do it right and mentally.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I think uh, one of the things that may have held you back uh, as far as the the 125 goes, like the 250 had that like low end grunt, and it had that uh, like that hit that you could get over the the obstacles with the uh, like in, in in a tight setting like arena cross. But the 125, like I don't know if you, you probably had a lot of you probably rode that thing both indoors and out, uh, just for, uh, like practicing riding and stuff like that. That O three two thousand four. Uh, 125 it loves to scream it loves to be wide open and that's really hard to do in in arena cross uh it's not as much a bike like a suzuki uh, of that era that you could kind of um like just place and put in spots and uh be a little bit more successful that way uh maybe something that would have held you back on the 125
2: i agree 100 percent. and uh i could never get the 125 going in that environment but uh Suzuki's always had that snap, and, and, you know, they had great maneuverability, and and, uh, I fit the Suzuki very well. Hey, this is
1: Jake Weimer with Team Tedder Racing, and you're listening to Big MX Radio. We're going to commercial
2: break. We'll be right back.
0: If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You, too, can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others, the F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable, sweat-absorbing liner, and generous eyePort design to accommodate any goggle choice are just a few. And did I mention how super-trick these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. and all of the colorways that are absolutely blow your socks off. So guys, please head over to www.justonehelmets.com today. Go check them out. You won't be disappointed. So do what I did, and head to d-u-b-y-a-u-s-a today. W-U-S-A. All Things Weeds. What's up, guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist. Suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike
3: Bill's Pipes, the home of legendary performance. Since 1974, Bill's Pipes has been providing motocross and off-road riders the performance they need. Two-stroke or four-stroke, Bill's Pipes has the exhaust system for you. In recent years, we've seen a resurgence of the Bill's Pipes brand, and that's great news. And that's great news for motocross racers everywhere. For four strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to dominate the fight on any brand. For you two stroke guys, the MX2 Bill's Pipes exhaust system is the right one for the job and comes in works, nickel, and the all new cone look finish that'll turn heads all day long. Head to Bill'sPipes.com right now and get the same pipe used by Billy Leninovich, Vicky Golden, JMR Suzuki team, Jesse Pierce, Nico Izzy, and David Ford. Bill's Pipes is craftsmanship at its finest. So go with Bill's Pipes and never settle.
1: Uh, Who who are some of your teammates that you had in uh, in 2004?
2: Uh, 2004, um, it it was. I believe it was actually Jason Thomas and, uh, the New Mexico kid. I'm going back to the name, uh, Johnson. Um,
1: Kevin Johnson.
2: No. Um, Isaiah, the, Isaiah Johnson. There you go. Isaiah Johnson Z- and, and Jason 69? Thomas. Yep. Fair enough. So all right, cool. Team tough. You know, uh, what was so cool about the rain across series is my first year I was designated. My mechanic was Keith Bowen and, uh, obviously growing up watching him ride and he gave me a lot of experience and he was actually a mechanic both the first and the third year of arena cross. so we had a great time together and and, then did a lot of fun things it was kind of a community that it was like a we used to call it the traveling circus because everybody was was so tight you know and and friendly it was sometimes hard to race uh, people to your sure want, because you were you such good friends with every guy off the track, right? And, and it, from Josh Demuth to Darcy Lange to Hagsette to I mean, everybody were good people kind of that had already been through the ranks and humbleized And, you know, sometimes I believe it was a bit costly to all of our uh, efforts at the, at the series, right? Everybody just kind of fall in place and not contest things sometimes, right?
1: Absolutely. It's one of those things where, um, like you guys, like you're, you're such great friends off the track. I think Canadian nationals and arena cross are are very much similar that way is that, uh, it's such tight confines in the, uh, in the paddock, like you guys. And and it's also a friendly atmosphere where guys will kind of uh, hang out with another team or you you don't feel uncomfortable, like kind of standing over by somebody else's truck, uh, unlike Supercross, where that's kind of, it's kind of frowned upon or whatever. Um, but because of that, like maybe on the racetrack, um like you may, maybe give each other a little bit more space or a little bit more uh like there's 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 less um aggression between each other knowing that yeah. like oh well Darcy's better than me so uh I'm not gonna fox with him too much and stuff like that.
2: Exactly. Exactly. But uh it, it was very cool. I mean my first race I ever went to, I got to see uh Buddy Antonez on an rd 80 and uh, he him and Jeff DeMint were both riding for uh Dean over there RD. and uh yeah. It was so neat to to have pictures of of me standing next to him, right? Cuz I started so late and it, and it just uh it was like a fairy tale. Well
1: that, that that's what I was, was going to ask you, like starting at such a young age or starting as a racing at an older age, uh, you had a lot of catching up to do, uh, who are some of the guys that you would, uh, race against, or, uh, that you kind of aspired to be like when you first started a guy like Buddy Antonez, who, uh, for all intents and purposes in the late, eighties uh, was, uh, the Adam Cianciarolo or the, uh, Austin Faulkner of, uh, of, of that era. It, he was uh, basically a full factory 85 rider.
2: Yep. And, uh, and trust me, my eyes are big as grapefruit when I, when I saw it set up, right? And, uh, I rode the, an RM80 and, and just was dying to get a sticker, right? To put on the gas tank. But, uh, no, it was a neat era. You know, I used to, when I showed my first Golden State in, in, at Sandhill Ranch, I mean, it was like I was pulling up to a city. There must've been 2000 motorhomes and campers, you know, and, uh, and uh, But, you know, we all strive for things that we want. When I got a back tire back then, it made a big difference, and, and I was just riding my heart out so I could someday hopefully have accessibility to resources to keep racing and, and doing what I like to do.
1: Absolutely, it's, it's that, that's the uh, that's what drives us as motocross races. It's an addiction. We love doing it, and we'll do anything to continue doing it. And uh, and you were able to uh, and turn a passion of motocross into a uh, a successful career that spanned uh, almost over 15 years of competitive career from 1994 all the way up till uh, 2007. Where uh, uh, and you you basically you, you chased chased the money a little bit. You, you chased wherever um, you could you could raise to make a living. You'd go do that if it meant going to Canada you go do that if it meant racing supercross you go do that four-stroke nationals arena cross um, a, a journeyman of sorts but uh, like most like the all that really means to me is that uh, you really truly love doing it and you wanted to it- to you, do anything to continue racing. Whereas some guys, if they say, if, "If I can't make it in Supercross, I don't want to do it at all," and uh, you didn't carry that uh, mentality, you you carry the mentality that I'm going to do this at any capacity. And uh, I think you saw more of the motocross world because of it.
2: Yep, and, and and thanks for recognizing that. And you know, a lot of it's to do with me starting at such an early age, and and these kids are starting so early, which is needed. I mean, the evolution of of how the sports progressed. And uh, the new standards that Carmichael's brought into the to the industry is, is uh, you know, but I'm not burned out like most, right? Like all mine was self-chosen, and that's what I have to be real careful with. My five-year-old, I've chosen it from the beginning, and then I wasn't really even born into it. You know, he, he, he on the other hand, is, is starting to, you know, he's seeing it from the inside out, you know, from the beginning, right, instead of the outside in. And, uh but it's been a great experience. You know, he's riding a PW50 now, and and uh, my time spent at the tracks, of course, training most of the time. But he's always my sidekick. You know, doing laps with me. Last year, we probably logged in 180 hours. So, uh, having fun with it.
1: No doubt. And uh, that's what the next thing I kind of wanted to jump into with you was uh, like passing on your knowledge to uh, younger riders. I like. I got to imagine even uh, when. You were a, a member of the uh, of the tough racing team in in two thousand and four with uh, guys like Isaiah and, and uh, JT Money, uh, passing on, on knowledge to those guys as you're kind of the veteran racer. Those guys were just um, like they were just getting making their way in the sport. And then uh, now you you also uh, you do a lot of training. You're passing on knowledge and you're uh, cultivating new talent uh, that will uh, one day fill uh, the gates of uh, a supercross near you.
2: Yep, hopefully, and uh, I, I have a lot of love and passion for it, and I try to uh, use that energy through my riders. And uh, I was so fortunate to have a, a sales job. I, I've chosen to be in the dirt. I want to be where I came from and where the energy is produced from, and that's why I'm here at the spot I'm at.
1: We're right on. Well, we'll what exactly uh, is your uh, is, is your your occupation right now?
2: I uh, I work for a company called Davis Motorsports, and uh, okay basically we we sell product at the track, so we we uh did last year a lot of the Loretta qualifiers and all the King of the West series, which pretty much covers from uh sacramento down to to San Diego in different uh series of races um qualifying for the Mammoth series and then we did a lot of the qualifiers so I do that along with my training with with my students and uh and uh I'm pretty much a household person. I take care of the kids I, you know, my boy's in kindergarten, my daughter's in fourth grade, so I'm continuously on the move throughout the week. Got bikes loaded, chasing kids down and trying to get into doctor's appointment and soccer schedules.
1: No kidding! You're a busy guy uh, from from sun up and sundown. What's uh, your most rewarding part about uh, your day to day activity, as well as uh, coaching these riders and seeing that kind of aha moment when they uh, when they realize uh, what you're trying to teach them is going to get them to that next level?
2: Well, it's uh, it, you know we're we're all here for the same reason. We we uh, we've had some type of experience with with two wheels and. Uh, at the end of the day it doesn't matter if it was my first race uh to now it the the thrill of it is is still everything and uh and uh just live being able to coach riders and and, you know live through their hopefully their successes and you know a lot of it is, is is uh is challenging and we don't get what we want but it's great to to keep working and getting getting the things we're looking for out of the sport and uh if If you want it bad enough, you'll get it. That was kind of always my friend's mottoes at an early age and and that's that's the bottom line and uh Weston Pike's a, a sure example of that i mean it, you know it's all about the want
1: totally you're talking about a guy who um two thousand and ten I believe i he rode a Suzuki, he rode a Yamaha. I think he had a Kawasaki one particular weekend uh barely making main events uh most times not making main events um and then slowly working up a program to where this guy is, uh, he had a podium last year um and um and winning heat races and stuff like that like completely uh like if you talked to the 2010 and told him in the 2015 5 years later he's going to be contesting for podium he'd probably ask you what kind of narcotics you've been smoking because it just doesn't seem feasible but the guy put his head down he made it happen and uh that's just a testament to uh if you want it bad enough you can make it happen
2: sure sure and uh sometimes it wants too much as he expressed a couple of weeks ago but uh yes you know, we all have that that moment right
1: for sure, and they, like I said earlier in the show, things things can boil over. It's an emotional sport. the the the, the sport I feel is attached to the heart. And uh, coming into this season, I really feel like Pike is one of those guys who um, honestly feels like the work that he's putting in is going to put himself in the position to be successful. And uh, and when somebody feel you feel like someone comes in and, and takes that away from you, uh, and it's it's not any fault of your own, uh, you feel like. Uh, I, honestly, I, I don't really fault him too much for for uh, for, for throwing a, a punch or two, especially uh, given the circumstance.
2: No, and 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 for sure, just I, I agree. But at the same time, I I know he got a lot of repercussions from it. You know, I didn't yes. have near the right he had at that point when my incident happened, and and uh, I got a lot of repercussions. So I can only imagine what he's faced with. But uh, at least uh, at least he got his piece, I should say.
1: <laughs> no kidding well uh like it's i uh, i guess at the time it, it felt good to be able to uh take out some frustration but uh missing two nights of racing as well as uh, uh five grand out of your pocket uh um and i guess now he's going to be on some sort of a short list of of like you can't like yep. anytime he does something aggressive uh the guys over at supercross are gonna have uh, some questions for him
2: yep and, and it's a tough thing to be challenged with you know and uh you know, especially with his style, right? He's very aggressive in, in yeah. nature, and and so it might it might affect him in ways that people don't realize on his results too. But uh, you know, hopefully he'll he'll get through it, and it'll even make him a better rider, harnessing that 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 incident in itself and live and learn, and and uh, even see more better things to come. Western Pike, I'm a big fan. For sure. And,
1: uh, i got to ask you, is, it, is that something that you ever ran across during your career being known as a bit of a uh, an, an aggressive rider as well as having the incident that you did have uh, um, that uh, after that you're a bit of a marked man like officials uh, like uh, reacting more uh, like more severely to like maybe something that like they a bigger reaction to something you did like if somebody else did it, they wouldn't have that same reaction?
2: Uh, yes and no. I mean, kind of, you know, that was the only bad thing that really happened in, in, at the pro level, you know, besides the pit board thing with Leslie, but, but, uh, and that wasn't that big of a deal, but it just, uh, a lot of the, and I should say foolish things that I did at, at a younger pro career kind of that followed me. So it, it wasn't so much of what I did at the pro ranks. It was kind of the effort I put in at, at, at the semi-pro ranks. There's a lot of those high-profile arena crosses and money races, and, you know, so, like, even though a lot of the Supercross guys were at the races, I would challenge these guys at other style events, and, and, uh... But, yeah, I, I kind of got marked, and, and and it was... It was good and bad, right? Because a lot of times I didn't have to deal with certain things, but, like you were saying, you, you, there are certain people I still never messed with. It didn't matter if it was Mad Mike Jones to... You know, he was a great guy to Lamassis, to you know, to Huffman up there in Washougal. You know, there's certain guys that you just won't be able to overdo. You know. Yeah,
1: it's, uh those are some tough characters right there. uh, Mastis, uh a guy who uh, would come up and uh, even contest for some some race wins up here in Canada. Uh, always a, a tough competitor.
2: Yep, for sure, for sure. And uh, he he was a cool guy. I had a opportunity to hang out with him for about a month but we went and did a bunch of riding him me and Lance Schmael and so and Hagseth and so I mean I was very fortunate all the different characters I met and friends that through the through the lifetime you know daily people just pop into my mind what they're up to and and uh how they're doing.
1: That's really cool. Um, like, uh, obviously, you still ride a fair bit. Uh, any any chance that we'll see uh, uh, you and some of your uh, your old familiar foes uh, lining up for uh, like Loretta Lins or anything like that?
2: That might be in the in the works. We're, we're gonna we're gonna try to do the first the qualifier here in a couple of weeks, my boy and I. And, uh, nice. So, so yes, I, I would like to go there. I've never been there. I've only been at uh, Ponca City and uh, I believe it was Whitney in Texas which I don't think they run anymore. But other than that, I didn't do very many amateur races. So it would be neat to go there for sure.
1: No kidding, man. It would be, it'd be great to kind of, uh, see you like, kind of, uh, you know, like you said, you've never been to the ranch, but, uh, head to the ranch and, uh, um, Uh, finally, uh, throw, throw your nobbies in, uh, a pretty, uh, historic area, uh, a track that, uh, many only dream about being able to to compete at. So, uh, if if you're able to get there, why not go and experience that? If not, uh, I'm I'm sure you could still line up for, uh, the, uh, the W, W wheels, USA, uh, world champion, uh, or world championships for, uh, the bet riders as well.
2: Yep. uh, Yep. Hopefully this year and, uh, my my model lately has been in my own head is forty one trying to make one more run. I've been trying to get back in shape and and get everything the equipment lined back up. I'd like to I'd like to have a solid year of racing as as I always would like, but uh, we'll see if everything goes as planned.
1: Well, I think what we gotta do is we just gotta book you and Treadwell uh, a flight and get you up to Grunthal for a local race.
2: But there you go, there you go. I'd love to or, do it, or
1: even uh, or even the age class at uh, at Walton. Uh, I know the two of you uh, uh, chase each other around that series, that circuit uh, in the early 2000s as well.
2: For sure, for sure.
1: So, as far as uh, the uh, the riding clinics and the and the the coaching goes, um, is it specifically or you only have certain riders that you'll work with, or uh, are you also a uh, a motocross uh, coach for hire?
2: Uh, uh, exactly. I'm a motocross coach for hire. And, uh, basically I I have about a half a dozen people that I work with on a continuous basis. And, uh, so it, 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 uh, it keeps me busy. I don't have kind of much time. I'm I'm waiting for next year until my son can go off to first grade and I have full days to kind of sink my hooks in and and be able to drive a little bit more down to SoCal and up north. Uh, got some great tracks in Northern California, the old East street with the sand and so uh, i am anxious to get back on the road with it for sure
1: so um before I let you go, I wanted to kind of ask you like what what are some of the uh, the most common uh mistakes and and issues that you find with young racers that uh like they're um maybe they, they just don't have like there's they're they're, all, they're making common problems or common mistakes what is it that you come across more often than not?
2: Well, more than anything, I, I I would just say looking ahead and and mentally thinking ahead, you know, more than anything, and and that goes from everything from just watching other people on the track and and the starts is is absorbing, you know. My my biggest thing is I'm not the real coach. Is it's what they're going to absorb out of me and what they're going to absorb out of everybody else around them uh, when I'm not there. So, um, you know, obviously they're going to have to make these decisions on a unconscious basis by the by the second, but. um So that's the biggest thing is looking ahead would be my biggest request.
1: And uh, one of the things that uh, I I always hear uh, riding coaches talk about is something that I can't quite wrap my mind around is uh, riding on the balls of your feet. Um, Like to me... I, I ride, I, I know I ride too much on my arches. I can look, just look at the bottom of my boots and I see that uh, the one spot is, is completely uh, uh, worn down. It's right underneath the arches of my feet. How do you make that transition to riding on the balls of your feet and still being able to uh, access the controls? Because um, for me, like shifting up or shifting down while being on the balls of my feet kind of seems like something uh, that I'd have to be reaching to do.
2: No, for sure. And uh, it, it's something that's... A, it it's a refined element you know I obviously the better you get the less you got to hit your back brake, and nobody was able to ride the balls or feet better than Villapoto. and and uh I I call him he has a certain Villapoto squat is what I call it right where he's always up on there but if you look when he when he does it he almost goes right back to the center of his feet as as he's lo- loading that breaking point so As you get good enough and he chops a throttle, I believe it it de-weights him enough he can sink back into the right position of the foot. So the transition is going to be everything. And the more authorized we can get cutting the power and going to the breaking point, the, the easier it is.
1: Fair enough. So uh like, along your your uh, motocross career you, you came across a lot of great characters, a lot of great teammates. Uh who are some of you uh, the teammates that uh, really stood out for you guys like uh, Brad Hags that you still uh keep in contact with uh and uh, produced a lot of great memories for you?
2: No, for sure. Hag uh, Hag was a great friend of mine and still is and uh Pedro was very fun and, and Phil Lawrence, I mean Hey, you name it, Brock Sellers, Danny Smith, both those guys just ha- had me laughing at all times of the day. And, uh, you know, my first ride was Morgan Suzuki going to 95, uh, you know, Mike Jones, Ray Somo. I mean, I, I got to see it all. Rich Taylor. So, wow.
1: uh, yeah, you literally everybody.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a neat, neat deal, but, uh, a lot of people, you know, that we're all here cause we like it so much and and it creates an energy, nothing else can. And, uh, so uh I, I uh,
1: you're one of the only guys I've had on the show that had the pleasure of having uh uh Mathis on the same same uh, same team as, as you were. Uh, what's your best Steve Mathis story?
2: It would have to be somewhere in Simi Valley, I'm sure, hanging out with K dub and uh and uh Jordan from strung out but uh <laughs> It would probably have to be the night before we were gonna go riding, and he he was wrenching real late and, and him and i and it was it wasn't the best story or anything but we we sat out there and, and worked till like four in the morning, but there's always that one moment when be, when you have a certain niche with the guy that, that that becomes that point right that that uh from then on that you guys kind of like each other and stick out stick up for each other up when it's too thick yeah. and thin but uh that's not my biggest moment with Mathis, right? Because we were both on the fence line with each other for a while, right? But uh, eventually, we became great friends.
1: That's right on. Uh, a lot of stories of uh, of Steve uh, working on bikes long into the night. A uh, uh, bit of a thankless job, the uh, um, the mechanic. But uh, you've you've also probably seen uh, him twist the throttle once or tw- once or twice. Uh, have you seen uh, Steve behind the controls?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, up in Washington. We we stayed and, and lived up there and uh, uh, basically through the whole summer uh, a couple of years in a row. So, yes, we uh, I got to see him ride a couple of times. That's
1: right, oh, man. Um, well, um... Uh... Before I let you go, um, let people know how they can get in touch with you if, you, if they're if they're in your area, they want to uh, get get some knowledge from a guy who's uh, kind of been everywhere, done everything in the sport of motocross, and uh, want to tap into some of that uh, uh, the knowledge and experience that you have. And uh, also, uh, if you have any uh, any sponsors that you'd like to plug before uh, we we'll let you go, uh,
2: and then we'll be off. No, for sure. Thank you so much. Uh, basically, uh, I, I'm on. Uh... Instagram I'm I'm uh, Rusty Holland three three five and um my email address is uh Rusty Holland at comcast dot net. And uh basically I do everything from moto to trail riding to arena cross riding and uh I definitely have a lot of supporters that still back the effort. Uh my, my supporters are Davis Motorsports, uh Fernsteiner Sons, Hotline Construction, Fresno Roofing uh, Thor MX, Maxima Pro Circuit, Worst Connection, Matrix, UFO, Mika, Lightspeed, CV4, Wiseco, Asterix, 100% 6D, uh, DS Moto Custom Designs, and uh, my lovely wife,
1: Right on, man. It's an impressive list, and uh, that just means that you've you've cultivated some great relationships and uh, with these companies over the years, and uh, that's really what motocross is—it's about relationships and and uh, and building that. And uh, I'm glad to have uh, have uh, made contact with you, so we can chat a little bit of motocross, and uh, I won't hesitate to uh, call you up again to uh, do some bench racing.
2: Right on. I appreciate it. You guys, all I'll have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Big MX
0: Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.